So, on Friday, I was up in the mountains, trail running. And trail running is like a really interesting thing you can engage in, similar to other things in life. You have to be fully present in the moment. Otherwise, you are going to like run into a tree on a downhill or trip over a route. And that's exactly what happened about mile eight. I started letting my mind shift into other directions. And at mile eight, my left foot caught a root and I face planted hard. <laughs> the first thing I did was look around and see if anybody saw that because it could have ended up on like funniest home videos or TikTok or whatever. But no one was there. And then I checked myself for any injuries or whatnot and I was fine. The only thing that was humiliated was my pride. But it, after that happened, I kind of started going like downhill mentally, right? I was like having a great time running down the hill. And then after that, I was like, oh, I hate this. I've got three more miles left. Like, I don't want to be doing this anymore. And I felt a check in my spirit. Like, it wasn't a spiritual moment, but I felt like the Lord said in that moment, like, where's your gratitude? And I was like, I'm not, not present. <laughs> like, I just fell on the ground, okay? And I really felt like the Lord in that moment said, so your circumstances are defining the reality of who I am in this moment. And I was like, okay. Yes, Lord, <laughs> they are. And so I began to engage in Thanksgiving. And there was nobody out there, so I was doing this out loud. Like, probably looked like a crazy person if someone came up on me. But I just started telling the Lord what I was thankful for. And telling him who he is. Because in that moment, like, when we don't feel gratitude, sometimes it can be really hard to engage with it. So the easiest thing for me to do in those times is just to start remembering who the Lord is. And say, Lord, thank you for you. Like, thank you for being my Savior. Thank you for being my Redeemer. And so I just wanted to take a second before we even get into the message this morning for us to like practice gratitude. I think it's one of those things where if we don't practice it often, then we can be forgetful about it. Um, and there's so many things in the world that like fight for our attention and fight for just all of our mental capacity and emotional strength and distractions are all around us. Like in our back pocket right now, we probably have a phone that's like got 10 million things we can go on. There's like birds and cars that fly around out there that, um, that distract us. But if we let our heart be focused on gratitude and uh, center ourselves in who the Lord has told us we are and in who he is, then that can be a really strong place for us to like come back to and anchor ourselves. So just for a moment, I want to invite us before we get into the message to like get into a little group and just start thanking the Lord. And I say group because maybe this morning like you, you're like, I, I'm not thankful. I'm not feeling it. And when we start hearing gratitude and like praise arise from our brothers and sisters, it like does something inside of us to where it sparks gratitude in our own hearts. So I just want to do this for like three minutes or something. So get in a group of like four or five people and just start thanking the Lord for who he is.
Jesus, we thank you. We, God, we thank you for who you are. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you gave yourself for restoration uh, unto our position with the Father. God, we thank you um, for the, your church. God, thank you for this body of believers. I thank you um, that you speak. God, we thank you for your word. Just ask that even this morning, God, thank you for your presence. Um, I ask that you would just continue to increase. God, that we would hear your voice um, louder than anything else this morning. And God, as we just listen to your word, as we read your word together, um, would it come alive in our hearts? Would you call into remembrance, God, the things that you have spoken to your people that we have been grafted into? God, we thank you. We praise you. Amen. All right, so we're going to start out this morning in Exodus 19, um, verses 9 through 25. And I've actually got a good chunk of scripture here at the beginning that I want to read to you guys, so feel free to follow along or just listen. Um, so again, Exodus 19, 9 through 25. It says, The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, Prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke bellowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sounds of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people, so they do not force their way through, to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. 
Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai, because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you, but the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And so then we, we look on down to chapter 20. Um, the Lord is speaking, and we get to verse 18. And it says, When the people saw the thunder and lightning, and heard the trumpet, and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So we're going to pick back up in chapter 34 in just a second, but between these two passages, um, we know that the Lord gives instructions for the tabernacle. We also know that during this time, the people build a golden calf under Aaron's leadership um, because they become impatient and dissatisfied. And Moses responds by doing something that um, was very in his flesh. He breaks the first copy of the Ten Commandments. But Moses also does something after that moment that is really important and a foreshadowing of who Jesus is. He intercedes on behalf of the Israelites in that moment before the Lord. And there's so much goodness like in between these chapters, um, especially the conversation that Moses has with the Lord in chapter 33, um, but we just don't have time to dive into that today. So after the Lord gives Moses permission to see his back, um, we go over to Exodus 34, 1 through 10, and then 29 through 35. So Exodus 34, 1 through 10 says, the Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first one, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first one and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. <clears throat> Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making covenant with you. 
Before all your people I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. And then we, we go down to verse 29 and we see um, what happens when Moses comes back to the Israelites. When he comes down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands that the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. And then after he finishes speaking to them, um, he puts a veil over his face when he interacts with the people and only removes it when he is interacting with the Lord. So, I know that was a lot of scripture, but it's all just so good. Um, a couple months ago, I was watching a documentary on Netflix called 14 Peaks. Has anyone seen that by chance? 14 Peaks, yeah? Okay. Oh, people. So, it's, it's a pretty awesome thing to watch, but also my palms were like sweating the entire time. Um, if you don't know what it's about, it's about a Nepali high-altitude climber who sets out on this mission to climb the world's 14 tallest peaks, which is over 8,000 meters in under seven months, which is wild. Like, it's wild for a climber to attempt to even do that in his lifetime, but to try to do that in seven months is like this unthinkable, unimaginable thing. This includes peaks like Everest, which alone is like five and a half miles high, and K2. And so this guy, Nims, has all these like inspirational quotes throughout the movie, right? Like you're just listening to him talk, and you're like, what is, what is going on like in your mind? But the one that stuck with me the most is he said this. He said, the biggest strength I have is I have no fear. And people can say that, but then you watch this man live out that, he had no fear. And in the passage that we just looked at at Mount Sinai, um, where the Old Covenant was taking place, um, the Mosaic Covenant, was a place of fear and trembling, right? We read several times in these passages, that we heard the word afraid, fear, there's all this language used um, where we just recognize that the people were trembling at the presence of God. And I don't think the Israelites would have been quoting them in this moment, right? They wouldn't have been saying, this is a place of no fear. But quite the opposite. Moses feared for himself um, and the Israelites because he knew that the Lord's anger was enough to destroy them in a moment. He knew the people had rebelled against the Lord and made a decision to worship something other than the Lord and something of the world. And there are serious repercussions to breaking the covenant. Um, but praise Jesus that we live under a new covenant and a place of restoration. Um, so I just want to talk for a moment about what a covenant is. And a covenant is a solemn agreement between two different parties, right? So the most common form of covenant that we have today is a marriage covenant. It's an agreement between two parties. 
Um, there are plenty of examples of covenants in the Old Testament. Uh, we have the Edemic covenant um, between God and Adam. We have the Mosaic covenant, which we just looked at. We have the Davidic covenant. But we have the covenant of redemption, which is at play during this entire time. So this is the covenant made between God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit before time even began. Um, so there are a lot of a lot of covenants throughout the Bible, um, and I'm just going to be using that word a lot, so I wanted to set some precedent for what it is. Um, I also want to just address quickly that the spirit of the fear of the Lord, which is an important place of reverence um, that comes from an understanding of the holiness of the Lord, is such a huge concept, but it's not what we're talking about here when we're talking about the fear that the Israelites experienced in these passages. The spirit of the fear of the Lord is a good fear. This here is a fear of not wanting to come close, not wanting to draw near. That's something completely different. So, because of the new covenant, we have a new way of interacting with God, right? Um, the presence of a holy God requires holiness, right? Like, there has to be holiness for the Lord to rest upon something. And it requires a perfect keeping of the law. Like, I don't want to ask us to raise our hands, but I know all of us would. Like, how many of us are not perfect? All of us, right? <laughs> right? Um, so none of us could fill that role. None of us could be that perfect person who is holy and set apart without Jesus. So Jesus is our intercessor. He is our high priest. So if the old covenant was a mountain of fear, then the new covenant is a mountain of joy. And our main passage for today that I want us to look at is Hebrews 12, 18 through 29. So if you guys want to turn there with me, and I'm going to read this for us. So again, that's Hebrews 12, 18 through 29. It says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded, if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. 
The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Wow. That's kind of a difference from what we just read in Exodus, right? And he gives the author of Hebrews, who is believed to potentially be Paul, um, he gives us this extreme contrast from what we just read in Exodus to what we've been promised that we get to live under. And I want to hone in on verses 22 through 24, um, because these are things that if we truly get, it doesn't matter what is going on in the world. Like, it doesn't matter what our past looks like. It doesn't matter um, just like what, what we're having to endure in a moment. But if we get these things and we understand what Jesus purchased for us on the cross. So we're going to focus a little bit on these you have come statements. Thanks for searching that. Um, so you have come is a very interesting phrase. It's Whenever I see a phrase in the Bible that's a little bit different tense-wise from what's surrounding it, I kind of pay attention. Because you have come is a phrase that implies not one day you will come, not someday you'll come to this place, not here's like a 10-step program on how to get to this place, uh, but it's you have come. So it's saying we're standing there right now. We've already been given access to this place. So living from this place of accepting what Jesus has done for us on the cross doesn't mean that we live in ignorance, right? But it does mean that we live with a new perspective. So we live with a heavenly view and we get to live our lives in a way that's only possible because of the blood of the lamb. So the phrase, you have come, demonstrates the approachability of the Father in the New Covenant. And it's our position before the Lord now. I, I find it really interesting is if you look back in the original language used here, you have come, it can be also translated as you may draw near. So it gives us permission, it gives us that, that access of drawing near. It's this place where the Lord is no longer saying you've got to stay on the base of the mountain, right? He's not saying if you come closer, you touch the mountain, like you're going to die. What he's saying is he's inviting us to draw near. And he's inviting us to come. And in fact, he's telling us that we already have come. So before we get into just the, uh, the details of what, what we have come to, I want to just clarify something right here. Where when Jesus died on the cross for us, that was a moment where salvation took place. Salvation was made available to people on the earth. And that's finished. That's a finished work, right? But then we have God's plan of redemption, which I was talking about a little bit earlier. It's covenant of redemption. And that is an ongoing thing. Like We haven't seen the fullness. We haven't seen the new heaven. We haven't seen the new earth. So that plan of redemption is still being unfolded. Right? So Jesus came and he, he made salvation final. 
But then we have this plan of redemption that is still being unfolded. So when we look at these you have come statements, it's almost saying like, yes now, but not yet. So you have come to this place, but there's more, right? That we're not fully living in. But I think when we grow in understanding of what he has accomplished, that salvation piece, we also grow in understanding of what he's going to do. So I just want us to keep that kind of in the back of our minds as we go through these things that we have come to and just recognize that we have come, but there's more. We're in a now, but not yet. So the first one, he says, but you have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So here, the author is talking about the bridal city that's talked about in Revelation. Um, I'm not going to go too deep into this because this could be like a whole teaching on the New Jerusalem by itself. But if you want to just read more about it, you can read Revelation 21 um, to learn more about the New Jerusalem. So you have come, number two, to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. So Charles Spurgeon says... Some of those bright beings are called seraphim, or burning ones, for they come and go like flames of fire. It must have been terrible to look to Sinai and see it casting forth its flames, but it is with delight that we look towards the angels who excel in strength and spend that strength in the service of the Lord and his people. These are a wall of fire round about us. And it's often believed that the angelic is introduced here because they are the usual accompaniment of God's glory and ministers of his will. Um, Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Um, but this, this particular usage of words reminds me of Revelation 5.11-14 that says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. I love this passage so much because it's a reminder of like whenever we're worshiping here on earth, we're joining in with whatever is happening in heaven already. So if you're, you know, alone in your bedroom worshiping or here corporately worshiping, all we're doing is engaging with what's already happening around the throne. So, number three, you have come to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. So this word, firstborn, um, or prototokos, comes from the words protos, first, foremost, in place, order, or time, rank, dignity, and titko, which means to beget, to bear, to bring forth. Um, and this literally, when put together, means you carry the right of inheritance. 
So we know that upon salvation, that we can rejoice because our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and they're written in heaven. And that means that we have a spiritual inheritance. So because we are children of God, we are co-heirs, right? We're co-heirs with Christ, and we're heirs to the throne and to God and his kingdom. And we share in his sufferings that we may also share in his glory. Number four, we have come to God, the judge of all. I think this, this is here because it's a reminder that God has not changed, right? He is the same throughout all of eternity, throughout all of the scripture. God is still judge. That is an aspect of who he is. He has not changed. That role that he has has not changed. But our position and our standing in his sight has been made right because of Jesus. So something else we have come is to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. This to me is a very an interesting um, phrasing. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And there's also, this is a whole other other thing that could be a separate teaching, but I do just want to quote Hebrews 10, 14, that says, By one sacrifice, Jesus made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And this is a reference to that. And we've got, you have come, number six, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. So the definition of a mediator is someone who literally goes between. Um, so it's, it's a person who attempts to make people involved in a conflict come to an agreement, right? So Moses was that mediator in the Old Covenant, and Jesus is the mediator in the New Covenant. And something that is just important to recognize is that the first mountain that we looked at um, where the Mosaic Covenant was established, there was a mediator and there was a covenant there. The new mountain, the mountain of joy, which is where we reside on, there is a mediator and there is a covenant there. So both mountains are marked by covenant. But in this new covenant, the law is placed in our hearts and written on our minds. And our sin and lawless acts he will remember no more. And so where we have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary because Jesus was and is the ultimate sacrifice. And he is our high priest um, in whom we can draw near to God. Then we have number seven, which you have come to the sprinkled blood that speaks better, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So, similar to how both mountains are marked by covenant, both mountains are marked by blood. And I know that's not like the greatest mental image when you say that, right? But it's so true. Um, so, on the mountain of joy, Jesus' blood speaks a better word. And this is not the blood of a man who was murdered by his brother, right? This is the blood of a man who willingly gave his life. And it's not the blood of a man who's, whose blood is crying out from the ground, but it's the blood of a man who cried out from the cross, saying, it is finished. And it's the sprinkled blood of the one who is seated in the heavens, 
And I want to read Hebrews 1, 8 through 9, that says, it's quoting Psalms uh, 45, 7 here. It says, but about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. So we see here, his eternal mountain is one of joy um, that we get to step into, that we have come to, but not yet even begin to see the full fruition of. That we have come to, that we can draw near to, but we have not yet seen in fullness. So I want to just close this morning by um, sharing an encounter that I had last summer um, that was just really, really sweet. Um, And I believe it has something to do with like what the Lord wants to do this morning during ministry time. Um, So I was at a worship night last summer and um, it was the end of the service and they had invited people up um, just for ministry and prayer. And I went up to the front um, to get prayer and I remember um, someone had just prayed for me, they just finished praying, and after that, um, the band was playing and I started just like sensing the presence of the Lord on me and around me. And I was like, you know, love this, it's great. And then about two seconds later, like it was like weighty glory to the point where I like couldn't stand. And it wasn't, I mean, like, it wasn't like everybody was, like, falling down around me. So no one was, like, there to catch me. So I just, like, fell back under the weight of the presence of the Lord. And I've had this happen a couple times in life. Um, but it's not, like, a normal occurrence for me. But when this happened, I started seeing things that the Lord wanted to show me. And kind of everything else in the room just wasn't relevant. I didn't pay attention to what was happening. And I saw an image of the Earth. And have you all seen pictures from, like, the International Space Station, where it's kind of zoomed out, and you just see the Earth there, round, globe. And so that's what I saw. And I saw kind of everything on it was just, like, fuzzy and kind of melted, almost. And then I saw this bamboo rod placed over the top of the earth. And then the best I can describe it was this white sheet was draped over the rod and over the earth. And I remember thinking in that moment, what is this? Like, what is this? But I was so just enamored by by how awesome it was. was in awe by what the Lord was showing me that I wasn't too concerned with figuring it out. So, after the worship night, I had pizza available, and I was still on the ground, and when I came to and look around me, everyone is eating pizza. So there I am, just laying there, looking around, like, oh, great. <laughs> so I'm thinking, I'm like, all right, time for me to get up. And so I, like, look around, like, trying to see who's around me, who's, like, noticing, that's, you know, concern that I have. But Tommy Elmer walks over to me and he's like, oh, hey, welcome back. And I was like, okay. 
And he grabs me to try to pick me up. And he literally, he was like, you felt like 10,000 pounds. He could not get me off the ground. Three more people came over to try to help pick me up. Still couldn't get me off the ground. They were like, sorry, you're just going to have to stay there. And so about 30 minutes later, finally, like, I started not so much feeling like the weight of God's glory. And people were able to help me up. But I share that to say the thing that I believe the Lord showed me in that was... Um, so I saw the earth zoomed out, and I believe that's just like seeing from his perspective. And the, the rod, the bamboo rod that I saw go over, um, I believe was the Lord's rod. And um, in Psalm 23, it says, your rod and they, your staff, they comfort me. And so shepherds use rods and staffs all the time. Whenever I'm out on sheep farms, they have rods and they have staffs. Staffs are mostly for pulling in and for like rescuing if the babies kind of go off. And rods you use for protection or you use in kind of like a counting or herding scenario. So rods are very much like the protection and the countenance of the Lord over the earth. Um, so I believe that that's what that was representing. And then the white sheet that went over, I just knew was purity. Like the purity of the Lord covering the earth and covering his bride. And so I, um, I just want to pray for us this morning in places that we, we need the Lord's purity and we need his, his countenance and his glory to come in and um, to be our rod and our staff that comforts us and protects us. Um, I want to just bless us with that this morning. So as we go into ministry time, if you guys want to stand up. Um, and I just want to ask, like, if there are places in our hearts and our lives, like, where we have old covenant ways of thinking, right? Um, so it doesn't have to be, like, literally we're living under the old covenant. It can just be a way of thinking that we need a shift in. Or maybe we, need, we have places where we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Or maybe you're here this morning and you, you would say, I'm living on a mountain of fear in this area. But I need to be living on a mountain of joy. Um, and maybe this morning you just need to be reminded of the power of the blood of Jesus, right? Because it is enough for all of those things. Like, his blood is enough. His blood speaks a better word. Also, I want to invite you if you need healing in your body um, or in your minds, that we have a ministry team over here available for prayer. Um, and we want to stand with you. Um, but I just want to pray for us, um, and then we're going to worship. And if you want further prayer, the ministry team will be available. So God, we thank you. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. God, thank you that your glory covers the earth. And Lord, I just pray for anyone who is here this morning, God, who is having old covenant ways of thinking. God, I pray that your blood right now that speaks a better word would cover those thought patterns, would cover those behaviors, and God, that, that you would be their rod, that you would be their staff. God, thank you that you, you hem us in and that you pull us out. God, that you go before us. You are the best leader that there is. 
and you are our good shepherd. And Lord, we thank you just for your goodness. God, we thank you for your glory. God, we thank you that we have yet to see the fulfillment of the full plan of redemption that you've had on your heart and in your minds. God, thank you that we live in the now, but not yet. And I pray that we would continue as your bride, God, as your church, to pursue purity. God, that we would pursue purity of devotion. God, that you would give us dove's eyes, that we would be locked in on you. God, that nothing else would matter. God, teach us how to continue on the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Jesus, we love you. Um, I also just want to pray for anyone who is having a hard time hearing your voice right now. Um, Lord, I pray that you would come and that you would speak even during this time. God, for those right now who are seeking direction or even just sensing shifting in their family, um, Lord, I pray that you would draw near to them right now. I thank you that you're a God of clarity and not confusion. So Lord, I just pray um, that your voice would be loud and evident right now. God, thank you for what you're doing in this body. Thank you for what you're doing in your church at large. God, give us your perspective. God, take us up, catch us up in who you are. Let us live on that mountain of joy and seated in Jesus. Thank you that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. And I pray that we would see from your perspective, God. We love you. We praise you.